The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Let's pray together. So, Lord, we pray now that you'd come through your word, come by your spirit, show us your son, that we would worship and enjoy him and leave here filled with renewed hope and thankfulness for who he is and all he's done. We pray this in his name. Amen. We're here, like Nick said, to this exciting genealogy. Uh, every time I read one of these, now I laugh. We had this, uh, this group that met to prepare and read through Genesis, and somewhere on Daniel's phone is hidden videos of Nick reading every genealogy uh, with all the names. So at some point, if you want just some entertainment in the genealogies, maybe ask Daniel about that. Uh, but, but these genealogies are here for an important reason. Uh, they're here to mark history. They're here to mark reality. They're here to show us that this stuff that we're reading is, is real, real people, real events. And, and to think through uh, these real people and real events as they're experiencing them and what would it have been like to live in the, the midst of what they were living in. Now I want us to start by considering that as well. I want you to, to think about uh, when was the last time you really asked yourself, what's at the very bottom of my hope and my joy? Like what's the, the very bottom, the very foundation of my hope and my joy? What, what is that? As you consider your life and your circumstances and your situations, what is it that practically day-to-day settles your heart? Day-to-day brings you hope? Day-to-day sustains your joy? And I know that we're all Christians here, so we know the Sunday school answer, right? It's Jesus, and that's right. (laughs) The Sunday school answer is right. But I am probing in myself and in your heart, what I'm probing for is your lived life of faith day by day. It's easy to be grateful for salvation, to kind of have that just be something you give a nod to, but to practically treat it like a monopoly get-out-of-jail-free card, right? And not have it be, not have Jesus be the bedrock of our lives, right? It's easy to forget Monday through Saturday where we find our hope and trust as the the circumstances and the things at work and the the problems at home and all those things compiling in. Like I remember a a few years into having kids when I finally realized it'd be a good thing when trouble is brewing with kids to stop and pray. Right, (laughs) that's kind of an obvious thing, right? To stop and pray and, and be aware that there's a God who cares for us, but that's kind of how we live, right? We send the emails, we get busy, we get going, we forget that our hope and our joy, the bedrock of day-to-day life is Jesus. So where do we, where do we put our hope and our trust? Where do, we, where do our minds wander? What are the things we think about as our, as our souls search for security day-to-day? Let's just name a few of them. For some of us, it's, it's money. There's a money, having enough gives us a sense of security and safety. But the problem with money is that we all know right now, right, gas prices, they can rise. Stock markets, they can fall. And whole retirement accounts can fold. For some of us, it's health. 
When we're healthy and those around us are, are healthy, it gives us safety and security. But we all know that sickness can strike and accidents can happen and suffering can linger that we don't want to linger. For some of us, it's our friends. We like having a close group of friends. But we all know conflict comes. Right? Life stages change. And circumstances even move people we love away from us. Perhaps it's our marriage, right? But we all know all too well that our spouses aren't Jesus, right? They fail. They, they don't help us. They, they can't bear the weight of being our perfect Savior and our perfect friend. Or perhaps it's your image or your popularity, your status. You just like being liked, you like being well-known and well-loved. You like when you say something and people like what you say. You like your likes on social media. You, you, you like being in power at work. You like all those things. But we all know popularity is precarious and power never truly satisfies. Right? You, you've never reached a point in those things where you've gone, I made it. Right? I'm, I'm satisfied. My, my soul is full. There's always a desire for more and more. Now listen, there's nothing wrong, nothing wrong with money or health or friends or family or marriage or success. In their best sense, those are all gifts from God. But I don't want to take anything away from it. Those are all gifts from God. But the temptation is to make them more than good gifts. The temptation is to count on them for hope and count on them for joy rather than seeing them as good gifts that help us Worship the one who gave them. We begin to trust in them, rely on them for hope and joy and satisfaction, and even worse, begin to think they can actually deliver. Right? Do you, do you find yourself in this cycle? Job's going well, family's going well, friends are going well, you're in a good season, right? It's like, we made it! <laughs> we made it! And you begin to think, this is going to last, I can trust this. Until it doesn't. Right? You get the phone call about the about the layoff, or about the sickness, or you have the conflict. And then what happens? It all comes crashing down. These things can't deliver to the, to the need our soul needs them to. All of them will fade. The best things fade. All of them will fail. And all of our best joys will still be tainted with sorrow. Now that might seem like a real downer. <laughs> But it's actually good news. It's actually good news. Because there's a place and a person that has a name that brings life and joy and hope that doesn't ever fail. There's a promised one who lived and died on the cross to pay for our sins. And not only that, but invites us to walk with him day by day in all of these things. We can walk with him day by day in the reality of forgiveness and rest and know that there's a day coming soon when all of our sorrows, all of our sins, all of our sufferings will be swallowed up in eternal joy. That's my favorite picture of the resurrection in the Bible, that all these sufferings and sins are just going to get swallowed up and be no more. All of our sorrows and sufferings and death, we can rely on the goodness of God to us in Jesus his death, his resurrection, his reign, his return, and have those things be the bottom of our hope and joy and know that those things will never change. And despite 
Nick saying these genealogies aren't very exciting, right? And then t- showing us how they are. That's what we're going to see today. We're going to see Jesus in Genesis 4 and 5 in these genealogies. So let's, let's dive in. And, and point number one, we really do see the shadow of death from the fall. We're going to dive into the darkness first. So remember last week in chapter 4, the story of Cain and Abel, and then this genealogy of Cain. We saw sin and shame explode from Cain in his murder of his brother, and then sin and shame exponentially expand by the time we got to number 7 in his line, Lamech, who boasted in shameless sin. No longer sin and shame trying to be covered up in distance, but now a culture just giving in to shameless sin. We've already seen fulfilled what God had promised in the garden, that if, if humankind would disobey and distance from him in their sin and shame, what would be the consequence? Death. We've seen God keep that promise. Soon after their banishment from the garden for sin, Adam and Eve see the disease of sin and shame passed on to their children and they realize for the first time in the flesh that sin is deadly. It's deadly. So if we pick up in chapter 4, verse 25, what we see is another son born. He's named Seth. And Eve says, maybe this one can replace Abel. You remember originally she said, hey, I've gotten a man. And who was that man? It was Cain, right? And now she's going, it obviously wasn't Cain, but maybe Seth, maybe he can replace Abel. Perhaps the curse of sin and death can be broken by him. But after restating Seth's birth in Genesis 5, 1 to 4, Genesis 5, 5 says this. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. Was it striking to you as, as Alan was reading just to hear that over and over again? And he died, right? Stone was sitting next to me and started going, and he died, <laughs> and he died, right? That's why we read it out loud to have you feel the shadow and the seriousness that's happening here. Adam died, sin infected, and the consequence for sin caught up with him. And after chapters one to two, this sends a new kind of shockwave. Right, sure, we can see in chapter 4 that that Abel dies at the hands of his angry, sinful, and ashamed brother, but now Adam has just died from old age. Death is coming a a new way. Well, we could say, but maybe it's just Adam because of his part in the sin of wanting to be his own God in the garden. But then we have this, this genealogy. So we see Seth, he lives and he dies. Right, we see we see Enosh. He lives and he dies. We see Canaan lives and dies. Mahalalel lives and he dies. Jared lives and he dies. Methuselah lives and he dies. A different Lamech lives and he dies. And suddenly what we're supposed to feel in this moment, in this part of the narrative, this kind of transition section through this genealogy, is that the whole world is covered in the shadow of death. The whole world. Death is always lurking. Death always wins. Sin has invaded the cosmos and broken shalom, and now the end is death. The reality, this reality of death, I think is the one that's at the bottom of all of our fears 
and at the bottom of all of our fears that makes us trust in all those other things I talked about at the beginning. It's the one, this fear of death, that marks every human being. I was thinking about this this week. Do most of you remember when you were a kid and the first person you really loved and was close to you died? Do you have a memory of that? I remember um, my parents walking in the door and telling me my, my grandpa that loved to wrestle with me and joke with me and play with me. I remember them walking in and saying, he didn't make it. He died. And I remember crying about it then, and as I remembered it yesterday, I cried about it again. <laughs> I was preparing this. Why? Why does, why does death do that to us? Why does it mark us like that? Right? And since then, since I was a little kid, I could, I could list a bunch more that if I think about their death very, very quickly brings me to tears. Right? Death is this, this thing, this shadow that the world lives in. Death is what makes a pandemic so terrifying for the world. Right? It's what makes the, the cosmetics industry so popular. <laughs> Just trying to push off any thought that we might be aging towards death. It's what makes us worry about our kids and why parents wait up so late at night, right? Ungodly hours just to make sure their kids get home okay. It's what every suffering, every pain, every disease, every tragedy, they all whisper to us of death, don't they? Isn't that why the pain and the suffering is so much worse emotionally? Because it's like it's whispering this thing. Death is coming. Things are broken. In fact, I'd argue it's what makes a world act immorally and take as much as they can of this life right now. Let's eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow what? We die. It's why funerals of unbelieving loved ones feel so, so horribly tragic because it's so permanent. It's our our greatest fear come to life. As 1 Corinthians 15.26 says, The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death is an enemy, and we live in its shadows as a consequence of sin entering the world. And from Genesis 5 on, this is what happened. People live, and they die. So rather than try to push it away or numb it or avoid it, it's good to look it in the face Right? It's, good to, it's good to look it in the face. It's good as we see death to just grow in our lament over the sin that causes it. Just hate the sin that brings about this reality and deal with it in our hearts. So point number one is a shadow of death that has now entered the story of Genesis where just a few chapters ago everything was really, really good. And life looked like it was going to last forever. Point number two, foreshadow of life from faith. Now you'll notice that there was one person in verses 22 to 24 that I didn't read in this this shadow of death, and that's Enoch, right? Enoch fathers Methuselah and a few others, and he lives 365 years. And then this in verse 24, which is striking in the genealogy, it's, it's begging us to ask what in the world is going on. Here's what it says. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, 
for God took him. In other words, this one didn't die the same way the rest did. So what in the world is that? Like, like is, is that what we should all hope for? Like, beam me up right now, right? <laughs> Before I go. So what, what's the point here? Well, I want to back up and just notice a couple things that happened before Enoch happens. So an encouraging thing I didn't mention yet at the beginning of this line of Seth happens back in chapter 4, verse 26. So look at chapter 4, verse 26. In this new line of Seth, which is opposite the line of Cain, it says, People began to call upon the name of the Lord. And the, the word for Lord there, it's in all caps. That tells you it's his personal name. They're not just calling on a God, but they're calling on the Lord. They're calling on Yahweh. So in this line of Seth, this new life given to Eve, there's faith among some in the Creator again. Faith has been restored. We should remember that at least in part, this faith is passed down through Eve because when she has Seth, she says, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him, meaning... All the way back from chapter 3, she has faith still, despite her failures, despite her brokenness, despite being banished from the garden, she has faith in the offspring that God has promised to come and crush the serpent and make a way for people to come back to God out of sin, shame, and death. So Eve, I think we see faith in Eve. And I think we see her passing this down, her family line. This should be an encouragement to you. Out of brokenness and shame and failure, like who gets a worse name than Eve? <laughs> right in, like, in the universe. And out of that brokenness and shame and failure, she's trusting. Another offspring. I still believe you. And seven generations later, here's one that believes. Here's one that's trusting. Here's one that's walking with God. So in chapter 4, we had this line of death and rebellion against God from Cain. And now here we have this line of people through Seth that is still infected with sin, still going to experience death, but there's faith. There's trust in God. In chapter 4, the seventh descendant from Adam in the line of Cain was Lamech in all of his shameless glory of sin. And in chapter 5, the seventh descendant from Adam in the line of Seth is Enoch. There's a historical parallel here that God is doing on purpose. The number seven often signals completeness, wholeness in the Bible. And I think that kind of reality is going on in the very history that God wrote. In Lamech, we have a picture of complete chaos, shameless sin, death. In Enoch, we have a contrary, faith-filled, hopeful lightning bolt of life flashing across the dark skies. That's what's going on here. We're supposed to see these parallels if we read carefully. In this line of those who call on the name of the Lord as their personal God and hope is Enoch, this one who it says, walked with God. Walked with God. Isn't that the goal? (laughs) Walk with God. Just be in his presence. Be with him. Walk with him day by day. Here is one that walked with God, which is a phrase used of Noah in the very next chapter, these, these men in this, this line that walk with God. And Enoch is the exception to the shadow of death. And I think this really happened in history. And I think we're meant to look at him and see a historical picture for us of resurrection life by faith. Here's what Hebrews 11, 5, and 6 say. Remember last week, Abel is in Hebrews eleven four. Here, Enoch shows up in Hebrews eleven five 
to 6, and it says, By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. I was laughing this week just thinking about them looking for him. (laughs) He was not found. Where did Enoch go? Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, which Enoch had, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Enoch is taken up so that he won't see death. By faith, he's commended as having pleased God. Do you remember that from Abel last week? His sacrifice was pleasing, acceptable to God. Enoch believed that God existed, that he was in a family that called on the name of the Lord. He believed that the very personal God, Yahweh, rewards those who seek him. And so he walked with God day by day. What did his hope and his faith and his trust, what did it make him do? Just walk with God day by day, faithfully trusting. If I, if I stay close to God, if I trust him, yeah, I know he's real and he's going to reward that. He's going to be with me. As I draw near to him, he's going to draw near to me. As I walk with him, he's going to walk with me. As I enter into his presence, he's going to invite me in all the more deeply. And so he walked with God day by day in a life of faith, trusting the promises of God. And by that faith, He never experienced death. So in Enoch, we get two pictures, don't we? In Enoch, we get a picture of what it looks like to live a faithful life in the shadow of death. Walk with God. Trust Him. Trust His promises. And we get a picture of resurrection life in the shadow of death. And in this story, we're supposed to see death will not always win. And if we read ahead to Hebrews, we find out that by faith, death never wins. (laughs) By faith, death never wins. By faith, the power of death never wins. By faith, Jesus tells all who believe in him that if you believe in me, you will never what? You'll never die. It is those who live in the presence of the Lord by faith in this life, living in the shadow of death, that then live forever in the presence of the Lord in eternal life with that shadow completely conquered. Right? Isn't it an amazing thing that that Enoch was still with the same person? He's still just walking with his Lord, still in the presence of the one he loves. He's just taken out of the shadow of death into the fullness of life. It's a picture of faithful life in the shadow of death and resurrection life that conquers death. So how do we live in this broken world filled with the shadow of death? By faith, right? Just keep trusting. Kids, how can you look around at all the sad things in your life, in your families, at your schools, in your teams, and still have joy? By faith, and trust Jesus We call upon the name of the Lord. We walk with Him. We stay near to Him. We pour out our hearts to Him. And we know that one day our faith in the midst of this world full of death will lead to that moment where our faith becomes sight. (laughs) And death is swallowed up in victory. Wherever you're at right now, like Eve, maybe you're in brokenness and sin and shame, are you trusting that promise? 
that there is a day coming when death will be swallowed up in life, when victory will come, when our faith, uh, right now we see just through a glass dimly, just memorizing that this morning with stone, we see through the glass dimly, but now in Christ is a day coming when we see fully. <laughs> death is going to be swallowed up in victory. We're going to see him face to face, every tear wiped away, all suffering swallowed up, all sin suffering up, all death swallowed up, and we live by faith day to day now. We can say with the Apostle Paul, even though death is an enemy, even though death is real, oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? Indeed, the fear of death at the bottom of our hearts that holds the whole world hostage does not need to hold you hostage anymore. Let me, let me read you this passage from Hebrews chapter 2. Verses 14 to 15. I've just been praying as you see this lightning bolt in the life of Enoch that you just go, I don't have to be afraid. I can be set free from the fear of death. I can be set free from the fear of what sin brings in death. Listen to Hebrews 2, 14 to 15. It's about Jesus. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Do you hear what he freed you from? Jesus took on flesh to die so that he could destroy the devil by taking our sin, by conquering death once for all through his death and resurrection, and therefore deliver us from the slavery of death. The slavery of the fear that death brings in our minds, in our hearts, in our actions. Enoch, seventh in the line, serves as a historical hope that by faith, the people of God need not be swallowed up by death ever. But instead, can live lives trusting God, walking faithfully near to God, and then be taken up by God into eternal life. If you believe in Jesus, you will never die which means whatever failures, whatever brokenness, whatever shame is in this life, you can lay at the foot of the cross and know this life isn't the end. <laughs> I have eternity to experience pleasure. I don't have to eat and drink and be shamed and be all depressed and be all these things because tomorrow I die. Instead, I walk in resurrection hope. I walk in resurrection joy knowing that this life is not the end. This is just a life to be lived by faith until the day when my faith becomes sight and let it free you from your fears. Point number three, foreshadow of the line of fulfillment. The Bible doesn't just leave us with this historical hope and picture in Enoch. It goes further in this passage. Death and sin and shame and distance and dodging all started in the garden. But we remember, and we're going to keep remembering in Genesis until you get sick of hearing it, because it's the storyline of this book, we remember the promise of an offspring. There's one coming. He's going to crush this serpent. He's going to put an end to all sin and all shame. He's going to rise up and conquer death. You remember the mercy of God to cover them with animal skins, right? As the first blood sacrifice for sin and keep working in his people, with his people for their redemption. So there's this ray of hope and mercy in the midst of it all. You remember Cain being born and Eve saying, I've gotten a man. Right? She's trusting in the promise of God. When's he going to come? And that didn't go very well. But then she has Seth and she says again, we're supposed to keep hearing this echo, 
God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. Still trusting the promise, looking for God's provision, trusting God's word. And as she does that, people begin to call upon his name. Right? We can trust him. We can call on him. Listen to the beginning of chapter 5 with this family line, this family beginning to trust the word of the Lord, beginning to call on his name even though they live in the shadow of death. Genesis 5, 1 to 3 says, This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. And we're supposed to see there is that God is still working. God has not given up. The image of God is tarnished, but it's not lost. It's still here. Male and female made in the image of God at creation. Adam fathers Seth, who's made in his, in his likeness after his image. God is still working through his image bearers to spread his image, to spread his glory, to spread his presence to the ends of the earth. The image is still being passed on, and the offspring promise is still alive. We're supposed to see that hope and that purpose play out in these chapters. God's still working in the shadow of death. Listen to verses 28 to 29 of chapter 5. You can skip down there with me. It says, When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. One of my favorite things in the book of Genesis is the names. (laughs) The names are just rich with meaning, and the name for Noah is very close to the Hebrew word for rest. Right? Do you remember what God said after he did creation and everything was awesome? Right? Male and female fellowship, right? animals in their proper place, right? this joy, this, this beautiful joy happening. What did he say? He, he rested. Right? And we said, this is the moment of shalom. This is the moment of everything working how it's supposed to work. Everything in its proper place. Everything delighted in what it's supposed to be delighted in. And here is this one named Noah because he's going to bring rest. Here we see a second Lamech who isn't living a life of shameless sin, but is trusting and acknowledging the Lord and prophesying that this son of his, this Noah, from him will come rest from the Lord. Now this is obviously a foreshadow to the way the Lord will use Noah to preserve life. Right? The ark itself is a kind of picture of safety through the waters of judgment and resurrection life coming through those waters. But combined with the image of God language and the promise of an offspring, we should see the author ultimately wanting us to look for one made in the image of God that will come from Noah and bring ultimate rest from sin and shame and death to those who walk by faith. That's what we're looking for. One who will bring the rest of shalom again. And in Luke 3, which we already read, we see another genealogy. It's the genealogy of Jesus Christ. It starts with Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. And if you listen to this, I'm going to pick it up in verse 36 to the end. Here's what it says. He's the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. 
why are genealogies here? Because they point us to historical reality. So the genealogy of Luke 3 is meant to connect to the genealogy in Genesis 5 and show us the promise of rest promised in Noah, prophesied in Noah here, is coming through his offspring, his conquering offspring, Jesus. We're supposed to see that. The Bible wants us to see that. God wants us to see that. And if we're going to go to Luke 3 and read about this Jesus and say, well, well what? what was he like? What did he do for us? Is there, is there any way that he brings hope to all the mess of Genesis? Well, all we'd have to do is read Luke 4. <laughs> I love the way the Bible works. Luke 3, here's this connection. And then Luke 4, what happens there? We see Jesus for 40 days resist temptation. Right? Resist the devil's whisperings. Resist the devil's distractions. His subtle call for Jesus to disobey God's word. Resisting temptation is the better second Adam that we could never be so that he could be our perfect sacrifice for sin so that his blood could speak a better word of freedom and no condemnation than the blood of Abel. Meant to see that go, man, here's this genealogy. Just type it in ESV Bible app. Where does Noah show up again? Oh, here he is in Luke 3 again. I wonder what happens next. Here's Jesus being the better second Adam on our behalf. Those who trust him by faith, wonder of wonders, can be united with him. You can be united with Jesus. You can have his perfect life count for your obedience and his death on the cross pay for your sins. Right? You can see perfect life of faith in the Son of God and be joined by faith to him in his death, joined by faith to him in his resurrection, so that if you believe in him even today, you will never die. Right? You get wrapped up in the genealogy in Genesis 5 and the genealogy in Luke 3 as sons and daughters of God. You get in the story. You get in the story of redemption. At the bottom of our fear is death. But at the bottom of our hope and joy is our faith in the God who keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. The God who has worked throughout all history to bring about an offspring, a firstborn sacrifice, the Son, who is the perfect image of God, lived the perfect life of faith, His own Son, the God-man, Jesus Christ, to crush the power of the serpent, the devil, the one who has the power of death. God did that. God kept His promise. God's keeping His promises. We can be free because of His promise-keeping to walk with Jesus. Like you can... You can walk with Jesus. You can talk to Jesus. You have access to his throne of grace. And not just a little access. He says, come, come boldly. Come boldly to my throne of grace. Jesus has made a way. He's conquered death. He's conquered sin. So come boldly. And when you come to me now, you get grace and mercy and well-timed help. Draw near to me. I'll draw near to you. Pour out your heart before me. Because he keeps his promises. We can be free to call upon his name, to trust him, to know that we have eternal life that doesn't start when we die. Eternal life starts now. Eternal life starts now because we never die. We're free to live for him. We're free to confess our sin and walk out of our shame and lay it at the foot of the cross because it does not define us or dominate us anymore. 
Your sin does not define you. Your shame does not define you. Your sin need not dominate you. Your shame need not dominate you any more than it dominated Eve, right? Who comes out and says, I'm still trusting. I'm still hoping. God's still going to provide an offspring. Now on the other side of the cross, we know the offspring. We're not going, there's another offspring, hopefully. <laughs> we know the offspring. We know the one who came. We can walk by faith with our eyes set on Jesus who speaks a better word by his blood, the author and perfecter of our faith, walking near to him for the joy set before us, the joy of eternal life and fellowship with God that can never be taken away or stolen or defeated by sin, shame, or death anymore for those in Christ. Right? We can be free to say yes and amen because all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. At the bottom of our fear is death. That's going to win. It's going to swallow things up. But at the bottom of our joy and hope is our trust in the faithfulness of our God. He keeps his promises. He's worked throughout history to make a way for his people to be with him. He'll continue working in this world filled with the shadow of death until the day comes when people are gathered around his throne proclaiming he's worthy and he's faithful in keeping his promises. He's faithful in defeating death and he's faithful in pursuing us with goodness and mercy all the days of our life until the day we dwell in his house forever. So my question as we're going to go to prayer and communion here is, do you believe that this is true? Like one of the words the New Testament uses over and over again, the reason we talk about the gospel so much is the Bible just always says, remember Remember. Remember what's true. Remember who he is. Remember how true it is. Remember how applicable it is day by day. Remember because we're so prone to wander. We're so prone to forget. We're so prone to listen to ourselves and not preach to ourselves the gospel of this Son of God, the perfect offspring from the line of Noah who brings ultimate rest and brings us to the ultimate waters of judgment to resurrection life forever. Let's pray. So Lord, we're going to come now and we're going to eat and drink with you. And Lord, I pray right now, if there's any in this room, Lord, who are still trusting in good things, money and jobs, family and friends and power and prestige, Lord, that you would help them see that those things are not going to last. They're not going to deliver and that you would draw them to yourself right now, that they'd see that they have a way out of their sin and their shame and ultimately their death, and it is in the name of Jesus Christ, who forgives our sins and covers our shame and rose from the grave to conquer death, that through our faith in him we are united to his life and death and resurrection, and we will be with him forever, declaring that he's worthy. So draw people right now to that reality. Help them see it and trust him. Lord, for those of us who are here and do know him, and yet, Lord, we're, we're walking in this world that's filled with the shadow of death. We're experiencing the shadow of death in our suffering, in our sickness, in our sin, in our shame, in the brokenness in every corner of our life. Lord, would you right now help us remember? Help us remember that you're a God who keeps your promises. Help us remember that you're pursuing us with goodness and mercy all the days of our lives. Help us remember 
that we're going to dwell in your house forever. Help us remember that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word, not a word of condemnation, but a word of reconciliation, a word of hope, a word of salvation, a word of life. Lord, help us live in this world filled with the shadow of death, walking with you faithfully day by day until the day that we get to walk with you in your presence, the shadow of death swallowed up in the victory of your resurrection. So Lord, help us in this moment be a people that remembers, remembers what you did, remembers who you are, remembers you keep your promises, and remembers to pause and remind ourselves of these things. We pray all of them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.